awesome. So good to be with you guys tonight. Um, I hope you're looking forward to like second annual trip where we're sending those young people to Philadelphia. Good job, guys. We are very excited for what you're going to do there. And second annual Lake Day. It, it truly was totally awesome last year. We were like, go home. It's time to go home. Like people were staying. So um, embrace your inner sunburn with us two weeks from now. Okay. Come on out to the lake. So if you haven't met me, my name's Jason. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here at K2. It's certainly my pleasure to welcome you all here tonight. And for anybody joining us online, we're glad you're with us. Like Derek said, we're going to be finishing up our breakthrough series. Uh, we're going to look at the life of Moses. Um, and you know, life of Moses, his journey with the Israelites, big deal in the opening books of the, of the Old Testament, right? All of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, talk about Moses. Don't worry, we're not going to cover all of it tonight. We got 30 minutes, but what I do want to try to do is tackle, you know, the challenge of what I think is the toughest part of of the Moses story, Um, the time Moses and the Israelites spent wandering uh, in the desert over the last 40 years of his life, all of which they spent in, in this desert. And, you know, for context, life of Moses started out great. Uh, Moses was supernaturally kind of rescued at birth. He had this amazing calling, right, at the, at the burning bush to be the deliverer of these enslaved Hebrews. Uh, he imposed the famous 10 plagues on Pharaoh. Anybody who loves to watch the Ten Commandments at Easter, right? Let my people go. You know that guy? Um, um, my Charlton Heston isn't great, sorry. Um, isn't great. But secure the release of the Israelites, uh, and the so-called exodus begins, the exodus out of Egypt. Um, And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. And a key element of this calling for Moses was actually to transport the Israelites to the promised land, this land that had been promised to Abraham and his descendants. And we're going to pick up that calling in Exodus 3. Okay, so this is Exodus 3, 16 and 17. And this is God actually speaking to the Moses in this burning bush moment. So he said, go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery, out of Egypt and into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so here was the promise that they were going to go to this promised land. And let's just start by getting our geography state straight. Any geography fans in here? We've got to know where we're going, right? All right, let's check out this map. This is actually a satellite map of the region, okay? So if you look on the left, that kind of snaky green thing, that's the Nile, and it leads to the fertile uh, Nile River, River Delta there. Okay, that's, that's Egypt. That's where the Israelites were enslaved. Okay, so that's kind of green region number one. And then if you kind of go over to, to, to the right from that, you see kind of green region number two up there by the sea. That's the promised land. Okay, that's the land of Canaan um, and where they were headed. Now, what's in between? A big yellow thing, right? There's no cheating and taking boats at this time for two million people, right? You had to go through that big yellow region there to get to the promised land, okay? And that's called the Sinai Peninsula, okay? Full desert region, right? Short on researches, high on sweat and heat, just like tonight, by the way. 
uh, full of snakes and scorpions, like the full, the full desert deal, okay? Now, there are actually people today, if you would like, where you can go do a tourist visit to that Sinai Peninsula, okay? This is their advertising material for the, for the tour. <laughs> kind of interesting, right? Plenty of sand, no real water, green stuff, swimming pools there, and then, yeah, more, more rocks, more sand. Uh, are you imagining trying to talk your family into this being your next vacation <laughs> destination right now? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just looking at these images, isn't there just something about the desert that just kind of makes you feel, <laughs> I don't know, physically raw, like vulnerable? I mean, the desert is a interesting, interesting place. And I'm not sure why, but I'm one of these freaks that actually loves the desert. I love to explore it on like my mountain bike, on my moto, and it's, it's a lot of fun. But a couple of times, I've been either dropped dead lost or broken down in the desert. Okay, has that ever happened to anybody in here? Okay, a couple people. All right, see if this matches your experience. If you're lost or broken down in the desert, you have like two questions on your mind very rapidly and immediately, okay? Number one, how much water do I have left? Okay, how much water do I have left? And number two is like, how do I get out of this region as soon as humanly possible, okay? It's like, how do I not die out here today is the feelings you have inside. And just to set the stage here, so just visualize with me for a minute. Um, How would it feel if you were in a desert like we saw for 40 years straight? Not 40 hours, not 40 days, right? 40 years straight. That's how long Moses and the Israelites were in this harsh, demanding environment. And now, it's not clear whether or not God kind of gave Moses a trip itinerary before they started, right? Like, how long are we going to be out here? Uh, But I imagine Moses being a planner like me. And so like any good planner, he would have like looked up Google Maps, Hebrew edition before he started, right? Um, He'd be careful to click the walking icon, not the chariot horse icon, right? And look up like, how long is this going to take? And if you do that, you can go ahead and do it, prove me out here. It's about a 150 hour walk, okay? That's it. It's like a, you know, so imagine, you know, no one wants to be out in the desert longer than they have to, right? So let's do 10 plus hours a day. No matter how you slice it, this is a couple week trip. In fact, the scriptures say this is like 11 days to pass through this region, okay? Couple, couple weeks. And so, you know, question number one is like, why exactly did they spend 40 years out there in, in this zone? And, and the second curious point is, the Bible says about 600,000 men started this journey. Okay, so maybe 2 million people plus total, men, women, and children, okay? Tons of people. And only two of them actually entered the promised land, okay? So, so why so long out there? And like, why didn't everybody make it? I mean, this was a promise God made. What is going on here? Like any basic human look at the story would cause you to immediately just ask, um, did this trip go according to plan? Uh, is there anything we can learn from, from this? Anything we should be doing different? Okay. 
And by the way, what about us? What about you and me? Um, Have we ever spent more time in the desert of our lives than we really had to? Or never made it to the place where God was trying to, to send us? I certainly have, personally. I've certainly been there. A couple of years ago, I shared about, you know, at least a decade-long experience I had where I felt like I was in a desert, um, just a challenging place due to a relationship challenge I had with my dad and just felt like there was a, a desert of bitterness and anger. Uh, I mostly created for myself as I struggled to forgive him, show him mercy, do the things God was asking me to do. And, and I learned even in that harsh circumstances, which was tough and even partially I felt unfair, I had choices to make during that desert time in my life. You're going to have choices to make in the desert times of your life that are going to be important to the spiritual outcomes. And I know in this room, I know many of you, there's a lot of complex situations going on even today, but no matter what your situation is, tonight we want to understand how God defined breakthrough for Moses and the Israelites during this 40 years in the desert, and kind of by extension, just how we can find breakthrough, okay, for ourselves, even in the midst of our toughest desert moments. And so, We're going to check out the book of Deuteronomy to look into this. So Deuteronomy is kind of the last book of the Torah. It's kind of retrospective of Moses' life, a series of sermons he preached shortly before he died, and and where he was trying to relate kind of, hey, um, what are we supposed to learn from from these journeys in the desert? And in particular, what are we supposed to remember and take away from all this? So let's check this out. In Deuteronomy 8.2, Moses speaks very specifically to the purpose of these 40 years in the desert. And this is going to be our key verse for today. So let's bring that up. And so Deuteronomy 8.2 says, remember, okay, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart to know whether or not you would keep his commands. And tonight I want to speak into three things I think God really wants us to focus on in order to have breakthrough, okay, in our desert moments. One, submission is where this whole thing starts. Two, testing is designed by God to lead us to trusting him. And three, obedience is always going to lead us to peace, okay? Submission is where we start. Testing leads to trusting and obedience is always going to lead us to peace. So let's get going. With submission is where we start. So by far the most important thing I think God wants to communicate to us today is that humility and submission to God and his ways are the starting point. Okay, the starting point. And having any breakthrough, any season of our lives, any circumstances in our lives. Okay, that's the first purpose God states for these 40 years in the desert. Okay, remember how the Lord God led you all the way in these desert, these 40 years to humble you. Now, the Hebrew word here for humble, it kind of means to to bow down, okay, to get low, to get underneath. This is where God's trying to take us, to get us underneath, uh, willingly, underneath his love, his commands, his protection for us, and and what are those commands? It's, it's everything written in his word. 
everything he speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, okay? That's what we're trying to get underneath, um, God's written and spoken word to us. And it's really interesting to me that like this idea of humility is also exactly where Jesus started in his ministry, okay? In his very first line of his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, that's where Jesus started, okay? And this is in Matthew 5, verse 3. Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount with, say, may know it, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, okay? What does this poor in spirit deal mean, okay? Poor in spirit literally means to be a spiritual beggar, okay? Like that poor, poor in spirit, a spiritual beggar, someone who recognizes they have a burning need for spiritual understanding and are literally begging God to guide them spiritually, okay? Blessed are those who are begging God for spiritual understanding and insight. And so let's think about like our postures for a minute. If we're humbling ourselves, and coming underneath God, and if we're approaching him as spiritual beggars, then our posture is going to be one of submission, okay? Resulting in us being willing to receive what he has for us, his wisdom for our lives, for our minds, for our hearts, for our spirits, our, our whole beings. And this is our first and only hope, really, of walking with him the way he wants us to, all right? So, so good, we understand this, right? We should just start doing it. Life will be grand, right? Um, well, of course, then our kind of humanity enters the equation. Um, remember our first archetypal mistake in the garden, right? Um, we wanted to be like God. We wanted to kind of call the shots, decide our fates. Maybe we think God's holding out on us, and we can be super, super stubborn about this. I mean, don't you, don't you feel that inside? Uh, the Israelites did, because almost 20 times in the Old Testament, they described, God described the Israelites as a stiff-necked people, okay? Stiff-necked, what does that mean? Like, they all had chiropractic issues, needed an adjustment. Um, we're not used to these agricultural analogies, right? But, like, stiff-necked referred to farming, okay? If you wanted to eat in the Old Testament, it was likely that you were going to plow a field, and then it was likely that you were going to hook a couple of oxen up to a yoke and try to get them to do this worked for you. And chances are, they were probably, the oxen, about as stoked about this assignment as the farmer, right? And so it would be typical that you need to use a goad to get the oxen going. Have you ever heard that word, like goading somebody along? Okay. A goad is actually like a start, sharp, pointy stick. Will you show that picture for us, Rindy? Yeah, so this is a picture of a, a farmer uh, goading along the oxen, okay? Actually, the guy asked his wife to do that. I love that, right? Here, honey, uh, here's some inflexible animals with horns that you know, aren't cooperating. Why don't you poke them in the neck for me? Okay. Uh, <laughs> my wife's laughing over there, but not really. Uh, yeah, but that, that pokey thing, that goad, was meant to get the oxen moving. In fact, if they weren't moving at all, you could poke them in the legs, and you know, they'd, they'd start to get moving potentially or moving faster. But if you needed the oxen to change directions or move in a new course, right? You'd actually poke them in the neck in order to get them to turn from where they were going, okay? But a stiff-necked oxen would be like, I'm not listening to you. I'm not, you know, poke, poke, poke. I'm not turning, okay? And uh, that's where the whole stiff-necked thing comes from. It'd be someone who's 
be an auction who's resisting the master's encouragement to change directions. And this was the Israelites, right? But this is us. This, this can be us. And you might say, well, this is a little harsh for loving God to be like, right, poking us in the neck. Um, think about it. Um, if we say we're following him and we're off course with something, I mean, what kind of loving God would not try to course correct us if we're moving in the wrong direction? What kind of loving God wouldn't do that? And what's, what should he do if we won't listen? Um, well, back to the ox. If the ox refused to change course because they were stiff-necked, it would be typical to drive the goat in deeper into the ox's neck and try to get their attention, okay, to change direction. And this is painful, and I don't think we like it necessarily, but God's trying to be faithful to helping us, and he'll, he's going to crank up the pain or the consequences in order to get our full attention sometimes. And this may be one of the reasons we're in one of these extended desert seasons. I know that was the case for myself. But here's, here's the big idea. Every single time we humble ourselves and submit to God's plan, his commands, we are going to have a moment of breakthrough. Okay, we're going to be on the right path. We're going to be moving in the right direction. And then unfortunately, every single time we don't, we're going to be experiencing the opposite, okay? So this is high stakes stuff, and, and submission is really where we need to start. Now, over to our second point, okay? It'd be nice sometimes if, like, the Christian life was just kind of this thought experiment we did up in our head, you know, like, yeah, up in my head I'm following God, you know, but it's not, right? It's a real life experiment, and we're never actually going to know if we're submitted to God until we're tested and the good news is this testing is designed to really cause us to, to learn to trust him, okay? As testing leads to trusting. Now, even as I say the dreaded word testing, right? How is the youth responding? You, well, you like testing, right? It's awesome. We, we all like testing, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you're transported back to grade school and, and the anxiety of testing and grades and whether you're going to pass or fail and all that good stuff. But the Hebrew word here is a lot more generous, actually. It means to attempt to try to prove something out. It's like a real-life opportunity to, to find out if what we say we believe is actually going to manifest itself in our actions, right? Because some of our actions, what we actually do, betray, tell us what we, we actually believe. And, and by the way, how did Moses and the Israelites do on the testing? Do you remember? Well, there was, somebody said not well. There was some high moments, okay? There was some epic, epic wins and victories, right? They listened at the Passover, and all their children lived. They, they listened and walking through the, the water, and, and the Egyptian pursuing army died. There was definitely some high moments, but there was some brutal moments of failure as well. And you start to think about this, like, why was this so extreme? Uh, you know, my speculation is God really wants to teach us just how absolutely critical it is for us to submit and come underneath his protection. And that's why it's just, these, these examples are, are pretty radical. But let's unpack this a bit um, by looking at the story in Numbers 13 and 14. Um, yeah, you know, and up until this point in the journey, you know, I think God had really been orchestrating the desert journey. He does that for us sometimes. We're not always in the desert because we're like resisting him. Sometimes he takes us there to grow us. 
And he was taking them there to go to Mount Sinai. They received the law. Um, they entered into covenant with him. They learned how to build a tabernacle, experience his presence. And, and after about a little more than one year in the desert, he said, hey, it's time to go into the promised land. Okay. Did you, did you catch that? After one year, it was time to go, <laughs> to go into the promised land. Um, not after 40 years, after, after one year. And let's pick up the story here. It's in Numbers 13, verse 1, and we'll read a little bit here today. So in Numbers 13, 1, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so they picked 12 people, sent them down there to, to explore the land, and then kind of came back with the reports in verse 26. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the holy Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went to the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. But then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of this land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Okay? So there was some mixed reports uh, about this land and this community you needed to decide what to do. I mean, they've been given a promise. This is game time. They went to explore it. They're coming back with these reports. And so they started talking about it in Numbers 14, verse 1. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Okay, if only we had died here. Um, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, back to where we were slaves? Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Pephanah, who were among those who'd explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Right? Submit. Do not rebel and do not be afraid of the people in the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <laughs> okay. So this is not going so great. Um, we have a couple people here completely taking God at his word uh, and his promises, trying to follow him, uh, trust the story, but most are not, okay? And, and there are some pretty major consequences here. The final bit is in Numbers 14, verses 22, and we'll pick this up where now God's kind of given his retort back to the Israelites. So not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me 10 times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to the forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and followed me wholeheartedly, 
I will bring him into the land we went to, and his descendants will inherit it. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say, or I heard you ask for. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years or older, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. All right. That's a pretty tough outcome, right? Uh, pretty difficult outcome. But I hope we all catch the point. When it comes to God's promises for our lives, we can either, we got the two options, okay? We can allow him to be God. We can follow what he says um, and then receive what he promises his outcomes will be. Or we can take the matters into our own hands and we can get the natural consequences of our own actions. Sometimes it's just as simple as that. And so we just need to learn both from the story and our own experiences. If we submit early, if we submit often, we can skip a lot of headache. We really can in our lives. Uh, and we, we know this to be true from our own experience. Or we can not submit, and we can learn through pain that only God's path is going to lead us to breakthrough and where we want to go. Either way, we're going to learn. So that's the good news. Either way, we're going to learn. Um, and, and, and this testing really is intended to teach us to trust them. But certainly my hope for myself and, and for we as the body is in ever greater measure, we're going to learn to, to trust him, trust him quickly. And that obedience is really this path to, to the good things he promises. Okay? So we start with submitting. His testing is designed to teach us to trust him. And then finally, obedience always, this is a great promise, always leads us to peace. Now, as, as humans, as Americans, we're super excited about following rules, right? I saw that in COVID, right? Everybody's followed rules. Whatever <laughs> government said we did that, church, everybody, like, very compliant, right? I mean, following rules is tough. Uh, it, it's not too hard to admit our tendency to want to be autonomous, right? To call our own shots, uh, as a human, it doesn't feel like we're terribly hardwired for <laughs> obedience sometimes, right? It's just a fact. But here's the deal. Here's the ironic part to me. I don't think we're always desperate to follow God's commands. But I think 100% of the people in this room desperately want the outcomes of following God's commands. Every one of us wants that. We want the fruit of obedience in our lives. Okay, and what is that fruit? Um, in the New Testament, Galatians chapter 5 talks about that fruit at length, right? If we live by the Spirit of God, if we follow that Spirit, if we trust it, submit to it, then we get the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is, this is in Galatians 5.22, this beautiful passage, the fruit of the Spirit is, Love, joy, and peace. Patience, kindness, and goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I've never met a person one time in my journey who has told me they don't want love, joy, and peace in their lives. That just has not happened, right? No one walks around saying, you know, actually, I want hatred, depression, and anxiety. You've, you've never met that person. And neither have I. Uh, it just doesn't happen. We are desperate for love, joy, and peace in our lives. 
We're desperate for it with God. We're desperate for it with others. We're desperate for it in our vocations and our purposes. We're desperate for it all over the place. And so, but can I just gently submit to you all and to myself that our gap usually, our, our, our challenge in this deal is all the way back at the start of the process. Um, our real issue is that for certain parts of our lives, um, we're refusing to submit to God's commands for our lives. And so we get bad fruit, not the good fruit he wants, okay? And yeah, Mark Sayers, the brilliant author and podcaster from This Cultural Moment, strongly recommend you check him out. He puts it this way. Sometimes we want the kingdom outcomes in our lives without submitting to the king. Okay, we want the kingdom without the king. Uh, we can't have the kingdom without the king. We can't have good fruit in our lives without obeying God's commands and submitting to him. But then sometimes, sometimes, we wonder why we're spending 39 more years in the desert than we had to. That desert journey could have been over after one year for every single one of those Israelites. They all could have come. They all could have been in. And instead, they virtually all died in that desert. And that is not what God wants for us. It's not what he wanted for them. It's not what he wants for us today. But it all starts with us making a choice, a faith choice to submit and do it God's way. And as you submit, you can test and see that he's capable of being trusted. Or when we don't submit, we can test and see that we're not capable of being trusted. Both are true. But either way, God is trying to move us to that obedience so that we can experience as much love, joy, and peace in our lives oh, that he promises us, okay? So I want to close tonight by praying. Will you just join me? We're actually just going to seek God's face on this tonight as individuals and as a body. So please just join me in prayer. Lord, I'm thankful. We're thankful tonight that you're a God who's here. Your Holy Spirit is here, Lord, and you're completely and totally for us in this journey. You're for us for anybody in this room who's in a desert moment. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you want to move us towards love, joy, and peace in our lives, Lord. And, but we know we, we need to submit to get there and, and follow you. So if there's anybody here in the room tonight who's in a desert moment, a tough time, the first thing we want to explore, is there anything there in your desert moment where you sense even tonight the Holy Spirit saying, hey, listen, I need to submit and do something different. I need to change. I need to follow one of God's commands. Will you just ask him if there's anything for you personally you should be doing different uh, in your desert moment tonight? Just ask him, what is that thing? Is there something there?
And if the Lord has revealed something to you tonight, let's just agree with him and say, yes, Lord, I receive what you're trying to show me. I'm willing to have you help me change that thing. Just, just agree with God and say, Lord, help me, help me change. Help me follow your commands. Help me do it your way. Just ask him that tonight. But also, I, I know so many of you in this room, and I know some of you have desert moments, and, and you're not fighting God on it. You're just in a tough season, a difficult time, a tough circumstance. And so it, it, if you're in that moment and you're not fighting God, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over you tonight, Lord, for the people here, for everybody who's in, a, in some version of a desert, Lord. If, if we're fighting you, Lord, we just want to submit and see your love, joy, and peace. But for those that aren't and are still having a tough time, Lord, I just pray for endurance, patience, for just a willingness to sit in, in, in a tough time. Because you say that even in these tough times, you grow us, Lord. You change us. You cause us to learn how to persevere and be more mature people who can handle anything in any circumstance the world or life throws at us, Lord. So I just pray that blessing over our entire group here, Lord. And even as we pivot now and just face you and worship you tonight, Lord, Lord, just help us see what a great and loving God you are, perfect in all your ways, Lord, for us in every way, Lord. We're so thankful. We're thankful that that's the type of God that we worship here tonight, Lord. And we thank you in your son's name, amen.